from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 134. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula, text expander from Smile and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. Last week on the show, um, I decided that I would like to try and introduce a new segment to open Upgrade every week, in which we go through a different small talk question with you. You know, as, as I mentioned on the show, usually it's a, we, the, the show opens, we have a you telling me how the weather is or by telling me that it's Monday. Or something that happened over the weekend, which I totally have a story about this weekend, but you, you, yes, it tends to be the same thing, which is I say, like today I would say, it's sunny and the sky is blue, mm-hmm. so much better than last week. But do people want to hear the local uh, San Francisco forecast so. for a day that was has already passed by the time you're listening to this podcast? I don't think Maybe. so. Maybe. <laughs> but probably no, I don't think so. Unless they're, unless they're your next door neighbor. But anyway, we're veering mm. off course already. Um, but So we As are we now going to institute a new segment. Uh, it is a small talk segment, and so I have decided to call this segment Hashtag Snell Talk. That is the new I name proof. of this segment. It's um, just fine. And so you can send me questions to ask Jason in the Snell Talk segment, which will open the show with the hashtag Snell Talk. And they will be questions like this, which was submitted by Bozy. Jason, what did you have for breakfast today? Well, not to bring us back to English muffins, <laughs> which we oh, already no. talked about on a previous show, but I had an English I had an English muffin with peanut butter and uh, blackberry jelly on it. I'm sure that would be very nice. And it was actually um, because I put it in the toaster right after my son toasted his uh, his toast for the morning. Um, it kind of burned, so the whole house mm. smells a little burny. But uh, it was still good. It was just extra crunchy. So, if you would like to send in a question for us to open the show. Use the hashtag SnellTalk on Twitter, and it will go into a lovely spreadsheet, and yes. then I will be able to ask them to Jason. And don't week. spoil me with them. Don't include me on them. I don't want to know. I want no. it to be a surprise. Just either tweet them to me or just tweet them into the wild. As long as you use the hashtag, um, I will find them. Thank you very much to Bozy for suggesting that we would like to know what Jason had for breakfast. It is follow-up time, Mr. Snell. Um, you oh, remember, good. we have been tracking a story for a while, or at least I have, and you've you, been yeah, reluctantly you, coming along on this ride accurate. with me, yep. um, which is about Amazon Prime Air, which is Amazon's drone delivery. Well, um, in the past couple of days, Amazon Prime Air made its first U.S. drone delivery. Um, this, If you remember, last year they completed the first ever in the U.K., and at a uh, conference called Mars 2017, which stands for Machine Learning, Automation, Robotics, and Space Exploration. I'm sure this has been on your radar because of Liftoff. Um, it has a, a, a fitting name, and Space Exploration is somehow involved. Um, this drone was set off to deliver a uh, conference goer some sunscreen uh, to actually uh-huh. make this project a reality in the U.S. outside of the Mars conference, Amazon still needs uh, FAA approval and regulation stuff. And apparently this demo was completed with the FAA's assistance. So there has been an Amazon Prime Air drone delivery in the United States of America. USA. 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 Mm-hmm. Something like that. Did I do that right? I think so. I think yeah. ask Casey. He's good at that. All right. Last week on the show as well, we spoke about our home screens. Um, We have been receiving lots of home screens, um, as was predicted. But Seth wanted to know uh, what widgets we use. So I said, okay, Seth. Well, I'm saying, okay, Seth, right now. We'll tell tell Seth and tell the world. 
Um, right. I'll run through my widgets. I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some of these applications because they are cool apps and they have cool widgets. Um, I use the workflow widget. Uh, I yep. use that to trigger off a lot of things, including my timers. Of course, we're going to talk about workflow a little later on in the show. Um, Fantastical for my calendar. I use Todoist as well in the widgets so I can see what's coming up in the day. Um, I have the Hue widget there. I tend to use the HomeKit Control Center stuff, but I have the Hue widget there in case I need it because you can turn on scenes and stuff like that. Um, Carrot Weather, that's my favorite of all of the weather apps. I love the Watch app and I love the um, widget in the Notification Center. It nicely displays information. Clock with a K, K K-L-O-K, which is a time zone converter widget. Um, I then have the Apple Notes and Apple Batteries widgets, and then Canary right in the bottom for my home security needs. Sure. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mine are um, also Workflow. I actually wrote last week, uh, it's a slideshow, but it's it's a good one. It's a a content-filled slideshow. It's 25 different things that you can do with, uh, with Workflow. And we'll we'll talk about more workflow mo workflow flow more soon. But workflow mo work, workflow no, flows mo, mo flows. <laughs> um, so um, that that widget is amazing because the widgets now have the ability to run code um, in iOS 10, and uh, workflow takes advantage of that. Like running workflows from the home screen, it launches workflow right and like kicks you into a series of things. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that when you run it from the widget, it just runs in the widget. It's amazing how it does that. So yeah, yeah like so I have like um, ones that will launch that do Todoist. They launch Todoist templates. It doesn't even open Todoist. Like I just hit the thing, and then the tasks are in there. It's it yeah. never even opens the app. It's magic. Yeah, it's very very good stuff. I also have um, on my phone Weather Underground and on my iPad Wonder Station because they they've split those apps for iPad and iPhone, and that basically tells me the temperature um, in at my house, and also um, if I'm out and about, it will auto. If I'm in a different city, it will tell me like the the local like temperature and forecast too. But when it's at, when I'm at home, it is my weather station that's feeding it, and I have Dark Sky on in the winter. On my iPhone, um, Overcast because it's uh, the new Overcast widget is helpful. I can very quickly uh, play Overcast, which seems like I might as well just run Overcast. I think the thing with that and also on the watch is sometimes your your phone is not playing a podcast. It's playing it just played a video or it mm-hmm. played some music, and now when you press play and you want your podcast back, they don't come back. And the widget is one way to force overcast uh, to start playing that's a really the good system use won't case do it right because i have that and it really annoys me my, my number one so i now use the overcast watch complication which seems stupid right because it's just the overcast icon but i do it because i'll get in the car and music starts playing sometimes and it's because i was playing either because i was playing music earlier or because i was playing something like a youtube video and when and now it thinks nothing's playing and when you press play on an ipad or or on an iphone when nothing is playing it's like oh i'll play you some music which is not what i want i want podcasts i want to go back to the podcast i was listening to i can tap on the watch complication and 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 tap play and then start driving and it will launch overcast start playing overcast and it's great because that's the that's the way to force your phone um, that doesn't think its current audio context is overcast back to overcast. It's great. And likewise on the widget. 
Um, and then I have MLB at bat, which has like baseball score on it, which is great. And fantastic. Hal. Um, I don't use that a lot, but it's there for like, what's my upcoming event? When, what's my next event? What's going on next in my life? Lots of things are happening next week, Mike. Things are happening next week. Oh yeah. We got a, we got a really big week next week. So huge week next week's upgrade. We're going to be recording on Tuesday and we're going to be recording it in person person in mega office. In your office. And one of the things that we're talking about is uh, Mike at the Movies, and we are going to be doing <sighs> Alien next week. Yes. We're, so we're not watching the movie together. It's not the flop no. house. No. Although, you know, if you weren't recording another podcast right before that, I would be sorely tempted to have Mike at the Movies involve us actually watching the movie together. But you've got to record Connected that afternoon. If you want to come over in the morning... Like if you want to come yeah. over earlier, if you want to. No, it's it's you're you live a long way from where I'm staying, and then I would be there the whole day, and mm-hmm. I, I I'm gonna I, that that's I think I think that would be too many trips on the train, mm-hmm. so we'll just do it we'll do it separately. But we are gonna talk about the movie, Alien, the original. After after uh, we finish the regular show, as we do with Mike at the movies, but we'll yep. do it in person. I'll see the look of terror on Mike's face. Yeah, I'm, I'm, after he's uh, seen Alien, I don't know how I feel about this. This one, I don't like scary movies. Um, well, I recommend you watch it in the dark. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that. If you're a terrified person, then watch it in the light. I'm going to watch it in the middle of the afternoon one day. I, I recommend you have a blankie and a pillow. Uh, we should watch to hide it together. Behind. I need a, I need a Jason. I think. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll come right. over in the afternoon, but you do you're doing connected on I on know. Tuesday, so I, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I know. Um, um, Joe's saying it's not that scary. I, Joe, you, you don't you don't know my you know my levels of yeah. of what is considered scary. We'll see. I mean, we'll see if I'm a trembling mess yeah. next week. Then we'll know that I okay. haven't gone over it. Fantastic. But that's Mike in the movies next week. It's going to be Alien. So uh, buckle up, I guess, for that one. Sure. All right, we have a quite a big week this week. I guess all of it unexpected news, honestly. Uh, I don't think this was the news that we were expecting to be talking about this week, but we'll get to that. Before we do, let me take a moment to thank our friends over at Smile for supporting this week's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander for Teams is quite simply a productivity multiplier. You will get a shared knowledge base with Text Expander for Teams that you can have set up in your business to ensure that your team communicates quickly and accurately. How do they do this? Because with Text Expander, you'll be able to set up some immediately accessible and searchable text all through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. The response that the person in your team needs will be just a couple of keys away. They'll type two or three keys and a whole paragraph will bounce out because you've set it up in Text Expander. All they need to know is the abbreviations and they're ready to go. And with Text Expander, all of these common replies can be worded by your best writers. They just should be written once, put into Text Expander, and they're shared with everyone no matter what platform they're on, whether they're on Mac, iOS, and now Windows. All you need to do is type a couple of keys and it's ready to go. Text Expander helps customer service teams provide better, faster, and more accurate service. You'll be able to ensure that everybody treats their customers consistently because everything's worded the same. And any change in messaging will be updated seamlessly and immediately in the background. So you'll be able to change some stuff. You've got, maybe you've got a new campaign. Maybe you've just got something you want to be worded slightly differently. And it will all be changed. All your team members need to do is remember the keys that they need to 
to pull up the information they're looking for. Or they can just search for it in the great Text Expander app. One of my favorite things about Text Expander is to fill in snippets. So you can do this as well, where you can, you know, maybe say you're writing some customer service email. You know, everyone's got like the main bulk of the email that they need, but you can be able to change some stuff. You can add some text in or drop downs. And you're able to do all of this. You just type in what you need. It jumps the cursor to the appropriate places. You press return and everything's filled in. It's really incredible. Teams of all sizes can harness these productivity benefits. Just go to techexpander.com slash upgrade FM and sign up for a free trial. Then you'll see firsthand why companies like 1Password, WordPress, Shopify, and You Need a Budget all use TextExpander. Thank you so much to TextExpander for their support of this very show. Woo. All right, so the $329 iPad. News! Um, news! News! We got news! We Everybody got news! some news, news but happened. it wasn't what we wanted, but we got it anyway. Well, um, there were press releases released with new things from Apple, and, uh, and I feel like I've just crawled into an oasis from out of the desert. It's amazing. So there were press releases, no event. Um, we kind of got tipped off to the fact that the store was going to be down, right? Like there was there was like a, some postings yep. on Apple's internal status, not internal, but they're like their status boards, they're like system yes. status boards. You know, there was going to be something happening. Yeah, the Apple store was going to have some maintenance happen mm-hmm. overnight mm-hmm. On, uh, on last Tuesday. So we knew that that was going on and we were expecting a myriad of things. You know, we'll talk about that a little later on. But one of the things that we did actually get was iPad. This is a continuation of the line that was the iPad Air and iPad Air 2. So the iPad Air and iPad Air 2 are gone away, right? Like Apple do not make the iPad Air line anymore. Like that is not the line that is continuing. And the new iPad features an A9 processor, most of the features of the Air 2, and a new lower price of $329, right? And, and trapped in the body. Most of the features of the Air 2 trapped in the body of an Air 1. <laughs> yeah, because it is what is thicker, heavier. A lot of the new features, I, I went back and looked at my review of the iPad Air 2. And um, it, it is, you know, when you write a review of a product, what you do is you say, here's what's different from its predecessor. And it's true, most people aren't upgrading from the predecessor, but that's sort of like everybody's mind about what's state of the art. And so you want to say, what's new? What haven't we seen before in this product? And in my review of the Air 2, I listed all these things that are new about it, like the fact that they have a laminated screen, so there's no air gap, and there's anti-glare coating, and there are... Um, let's see what else. So it's thinner and lighter, and uh, the new iPad is essentially none of that. It is back to the Air One. It is that screen. So the screen, anyway, is, and the thickness they've backed it out to the Air One, presumably because it's a lot cheaper to make a screen like that than to have this fancy laminated screen with an anti-glare coat on it. And when they're trying to get the price down to three twenty-nine. That's the stuff that has to go. So it's it's a little bit it, it's fascinating that that they've done this, and and you know I'm sure we can go into this a little bit more, but it's a lot like the iPhone SE in a way, where it's kind of a new product, but it's got a bunch of old tech that is being repurposed, and then some new tech in it as well. But I would say the basis of it, it's it's basically an upgraded iPad Air Air One. Like, what if we took the iPad Air One and upgraded the internals a little bit? 
And it certainly has none of the iPad Pro features. That's that's not happening. This is this is a a base model. It's a, it's the equivalent of what if we took the iPad Air one and then upgraded it a little bit so that we could sell it in 2017 and beyond for a low price. I think for me, what this iPad is is really doing um, from a product line perspective is separating the iPad Pro. Like it's it's helping in a in a way make the iPad Pro stand out more. Right, because this iPad has kind of taken, in yes. some aspects, a step back from it. Right. right. I mean, the iPad Airline itself was impressive, and the Air Two is an impressive upgrade. Mm-hmm. And that was because they were on the line of what's the state? They were the the iPad Air, and then the iPad Air Two were state of the art iPads. They were. They were right. the top of the line. Exactly right, and they were moving on this track. And then the iPad Pro was was essentially the iPad Air Three. You know, you could think of it that way. It was mm-hmm. the next progression there. And what Apple's doing now is it's tearing down the airline. Turns out the MacBook Air has survived the iPad Air. Who knew? Um, and and they're tearing that all down, and they're going back to the iPad line, and they're going back with something that's kind of like the Air 1. And you're absolutely right. By doing that, they have iPad and iPad Pro, and there's much bi- a much bigger gulf between them in price and functionality yep. because the iPad, this new iPad is not intended to be the top of the line of anything like the iPad or like the iPhone SE kind of, it is that same kind of, kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, the iPad Air 2, it was weirder, right? Because it was really just a previous generation top of the line product that was now a year old. Um, and this new iPad is not that at all no. in any way. So, like, I was thinking about this. Like, how how are they separating these devices? Like, what do they look like now? So, one of the big things is processor differences, right? So, whilst the iPad the iPad got a processor bump, it's now on the A9. I think it was on the A8 before, right? But the iPad Pros have, have both have in them, um, when they were launched, an A9X, right? So it had a more powerful yeah. processor. And I think a lot of us were kind of assuming that the Air 3 would probably pick up that processor, right? Like right. I think we were all assuming the continuation of the airline would have seen it get even closer to the Pro, right? And if, if they didn't rev the Pros, right? So what they've done is to, they've separated them. They're also marketing them significantly differently. Like you can just see it on Apple's website. The iPad Pro, the, the tagline is supercomputer, and the iPad is the tagline is flat out fun. One of them is all about consuming video and listening to music and playing games, right? And shopping across the whole page. The other one is opening is editing photos in Photoshop, creating websites. Um, it shows the internals. It shows like some CAD program, Excel, Word. Mm-hmm. Very different marketing strategies for these products. One is an addition to the other products in your home, the other computers. The other is a replacement for a computer in your home. That is how Apple is marketing them. That makes me very happy to to see this uh, um, maybe a more clear message for the iPad line as a thing um, in a way that I actually don't really think that they do for the Mac, right? I don't think that there's so much of... I feel like they just show a lot of the same sort of stuff and then the Pro does more on top, right? But it's right. not like they show... The the MacBook isn't the watching Netflix Mac. Right? <laughs> like, that's right. not how they market that. So I, I kind of like that because it's like understanding what the products are. Like, the iPad, this iPad, is more of a consumption device and then the Pros are more of a working device. 
Um, so the marketing differences. Trying to differentiate them and the names make sense, right? This is the thing of like Air and Pro was weird, but now it's just iPad and iPad Pro, which right. is much clearer. Like MacBook and MacBook Pro. Exactly right. Like some some we've we're getting to the other side of Apple's weird name transition when things were really confusing and people quite rightly pointed out, boy, this is really confusing. They're like, they're trying to get it settled. They're trying to get this clearer distinction that the air name doesn't help with, yep. that, that now they're, they're, they're trying to get, which is just, it's high end or it's low end. And then within there, there are the, there are the sizes. Um, I'm a little surprised that the iPad mini four, other than that, it's not new. Um, you know, I think if it was new, they would just call it iPad Mini. So do I. Like, I right? would be willing to make a bet that the next version of the iPad Pro is just called iPad Pro. Like, it doesn't get a number yes. or anything. Yeah, and it would be the iPad Pro, um, whatever size it is, 2017. Yeah. In the same like way that I think the unicorn iPhone will just be called iPhone, right? Like, Or it will be called iPhone Pro or something. Could be. I, I really think that Apple is going to get away from these ever-increasing numbers because I just don't think... I just don't think it looks very good like in the abstract. I think that you can come up with more interesting names or maybe just focus on the numbers a little bit less. I don't think that the numbers are very they just don't really say much, I don't think. Yeah. You know, no, just I, like oh this I, is the next one. I I am a believer. Now not from a nerd perspective of we need to define, you know, if you're doing support or if you're in IT or anything like that where and people like us where we need to talk about well which one are you talking about and that's when we do like for this one that's when we do it's the new it's the ipad fifth generation yeah like that's not a name that anybody actually wants to say but it's like a footnote but you have to it for us we have to say oh it's the fifth generation ipad it's not the ipad air or air 2 or the fourth generation ipad way back when it is this new model but from a consumer standpoint i think it's absolutely the right thing to do to say Mm -hmm. This is the iPad Pro. It's always the iPad Pro. We have a new model this year. This is the 2017 iPad Pro, but it's still just the iPad Pro. And this is the iPad, and this is the iMac, right? I mean, the iMac is a good example of that. The iMac is the iMac. The MacBook Pro is the MacBook Pro. It isn't the MacBook Pro 6, right? It is the MacBook Pro. And the, and, and the argument could be made that the iPhone is the same way, that this should be this year's iPhone, the new iPhone. I want the new iPhone. Um, the challenge is when you're selling the new iPhone and the old iPhone and the older iPhone, right? I think that's the issue is you'd be better off differentiating by having it be iPhone, iPhone Pro, iPhone SE than, it, than you would be saying iPhone 7, iPhone 6, S, iPhone 6. Yeah, I and think that so. may be where they're going. That may that 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 rumored thousand dollar plus uh, iPhone eight that we've been talking about absolutely could be the iPhone Pro, and it could be followed sometime the following year by an SE like revision of the iPhone six or six S that they call iPhone, and that's the new model, right? Which is top end is cutting edge um and then the lower end phones are you know or devices are much less likely to be dramatically changed occasionally they'll have a revision like i would imagine that the iphone se will not stay looking like an iphone 5 forever but it may do it for a long time i don't know um oh i wanted to mention something about the 
SE also is that the iPad, the new iPad actually shares the same processor as the SE. It's an A9. So that's like Apple's, this is our kind of, it's good, but it's like the base level of it's good enough for us to sell this in a new model, but a low cost model. Yeah. Um, And a lot of arguments can be made that the A8X that was in the iPad Air 2 is actually um, a better processor than in the A9 because of all the graphics performance enhancements that they make in the X models that aren't necessarily there. Um, But but the old um, iPad Air 1 had an A7. So that's the, if you want to think of it that way, that's the step up here is they wanted to get away from like an A7 processor. So they went to an A9. It's in the same family as the iPhones and the iPad Pros, but it's a, you know, it's, it's not, as souped up as that and that's a a price and differentiation thing that they're doing there there was one thing i wanted to just touch on before we wrap up the like ipad versus pro line which is the the features right they they, i think that they've done a better job now of like pulling the features apart like by by kind of taking a step back on the display so you know it's not a white color display and it's not a laminated display anymore right yeah it's and basically, they're saying no. That's a that's a that's too expensive a feature to be in a three twenty nine tablet. Yep. That's that's our high end. That's our cutting edge, right? When they're when they're driving to the cutting edge with the Air two, it was worth the extra cost to do that. But as a three twenty nine product, it's not. And then so it also has speakers, the Pro line, and the ability for the pencil and smart connector, right? So you, and you can right. so you put the keyboard you on your it. stereo and your or your, your your four speakers and all of that, and that's all not there. This is this is I think. I don't know which I was going to say phase two, but it's maybe not phase two, but it's a phase of Tim Cook's um, product management philosophy, like or, uh, not like product management, but like um, what the offerings managing Apple's offerings and managing how Apple p- creates different products at different price points. I feel like we've entered this new phase now and phase one We'll we'll call it. I don't know. Again, I, I don't. I shouldn't be counting phases. Was what if we keep the old products around and drop the price? So instead of making a low end whatever, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep the old products around. The longer we make them, the cheaper they are to make. We can just keep them around for a while. The downside of that is you sell an iPad Air two to somebody, or I mean an iPad two, second generation iPad, right? iPad two to people four years after it was introduced as a new iPad, which they did. Mm-hmm. And then you are saddled with these, you're saddling people with these old processors, your app developers, your operating system supporting these old devices that really shouldn't be supported. So there, there are a lot of downsides to doing it that way, but they're way cheaper to make. You just keep them in the price line. You don't have to make a new product. You just keep making them. You've gotten really good at making iPhone 6s. Just keep making them. And they're cheaper to make. Every month that goes by, they're cheaper for you to make, so your profit margin goes up, or you can cut the price. Great. Phase two, right, is saying, okay, that's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to just to have a clear lower price line that we can update occasionally so that there's clarity that there's the high end and the mid range and the low end or however you want to, you want to define it. And that there's less confusion at that point because you don't have last year's model and this year's model and two years ago's model all on sale. And it lets you take that low, that mid range model and make some tweaks to it. Like they're not going to upgrade the iPhone six, right? They're not going to put a better processor in the iPhone six. It wouldn't be an iPhone six then. But they could potentially do what they did with the SE and what they did with this new iPad, which is just refresh it a little 
but still keep most of the things that make it cheap to make. And so that, that's why I feel like that's the, that's the new phase we're in now where, um, I would, I would, it makes me think that we will see this on the iPhone at some point, just because it makes more sense to do it this way, given that they, they clearly have a, a preference to keep old product designs around that are cheaper, uh, to make. And, you know, you could really argue that, people are much more are going to be much more inclined to buy a new iPad than buy a two-year-old iPad that's at a low price, right? It's a new yeah. iPad at a low price. Even though the specs might be the same or worse, it's new and and it's just in their price range. And, and that's, you know, if you went to a car lot, if you went to a car dealership and they said, well, I know you want the 2018 model, but I do have a 2015. Are you starting to sell me a used car? No, no, it's new. It's just the old model. I don't know, you know, would people be enthusiastic about that instead of just saying, well, you know, it comes in this year's model comes in two different price variations and one of them is a little bit less powerful. I'm like, oh, well, that actually fits my budget better. I'll just get that one. That psychologically, that feels like it way better to me to buy today's model than to buy two years ago's model, which is the problem with the Tim Cook approach of letting your products just kind of keep being sold and aging out and and going down in price until they're finally irrelevant. So I think one of the key indicators here, I mean, I think Apple is making it abundantly clear that they have done this to the iPad line to sell an iPad for a lower price. I think it's clear, right? That that the price is lower. It's lower than any 9.7-inch iPad price has ever been, right, for a new product. And they've clearly made some decisions on this product to make it cheaper, right? So I think we can see that. And one of the key reasons they may have done this, as well as just trying to drive general adoption in the iPad line, is to target education. I think education is is, is really clear here. And, and you wrote an article on Macworld kind of outlining some of this. Um, and one of the things that Apple may be trying to defend against is Chromebooks. Sure, absolutely, because Chromebooks have been incredibly successful in education, especially uh, in the U.S., yeah, and, and they're selling well just in general, right? Um, I think in the article you cited, uh, another Macworld article that, that talks about last May, uh, Chromebook sales surpassed Mac sales just in general. Um, and education is where a lot of these are being sold into. So the new iPad, I mean, Apple, again, like Apple is telegraphing their decisions on this one. Uh, the new iPad has an education discount that you can get. And it's then priced at $299, which makes it incredibly competitive with good Chromebooks. And then again, they've worked with Logitech. And Logitech have got this bundle that they're selling. Well, like Apple is selling a bundle, right, with a Logitech case, yeah. um, which is it's not made for a good education, case. basically. Uh, no, it it's not. Called, uh, what is it called? The Rugged? The rugged, rugged combo, yeah. and it's like this really square, like blocky keyboard case, but like, you know, it looks like that thing would take a beating, hence why mm-hmm. you'd put it in schools. Yeah, and that that's all part of their story. And again, I don't think, I was looking at uh, Fraser Spears' tweets about this, because he obviously cares a lot about education, he's a teacher, and he's got a school with an iPad program. And he is observing this and and observing what's going on with Chromebooks. And what this seems to do, and Fraser thinks this, is, um, you know, it's not going to make the iPad price equivalent to a Chromebook. Even, uh, you know, the iPad alone doesn't have a keyboard. The iPad in this case with a key, with a keyboard, it, it's you're adding even on more your the price of the the Logitech stuff. 
What it does do is get the iPad a little bit closer within hailing distance of the Chromebook. And yep. once you get close, then you can compete on on other issues, right? I think that was I think that's the idea here is that if yeah. if if they're only going to compete on price, let's be honest, Apple's never going to win if you only compete on price with anyone. Because you can get really cheap crap Chromebooks. You're never going to get a really cheap crap iPad. So Apple's and this is true across Apple's product line. So Apple's strategy is always to tell you it is a little bit more expensive, but you get more out of it. And we can argue about whether that's true or not. I find a lot of people immediately want to jump in and say, but, 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 but Chromebooks. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's the argument that the schools have. And that's the argument that the, that the salespeople for, for uh, companies making Chromebooks and for Apple have to, have to make to education. Um, they have to make their sales point. But the, the, the problem is if the price gulf is so wide that you can't even make the arguments. And I look at this product and I say, this gets Apple back in the game of being able to say, look, I know the Chromebooks are cheap, but let me tell you why our are better yeah. and they'll last longer and they'll be better for your students and they're more versatile because they're a tablet and you can get it with the keyboard all of those things so um, and Fraser Spears has done the math and you know the, the this could depending on how you deploy it these could be um, especially if you're not doing a one-to-one but you're doing like a, a like a smaller group like a one to six kind of deployment you know the iPad could be very very cheaply deployed and that's all you know you have to be part of the conversation if you want to sell your product. And Apple, I think, is, is you know, they're closing the gap enough mm-hmm. to be part of the conversation here. You remember a short time ago when we were discussing kind of the iPad, its place, you know, when we were looking at all that data, right, about sales figures? We were hearing from a bunch of people that was like in education and they were waiting, right? They were waiting yeah. for the next iPad Air, and I think they've gotten something even better than that, right? So, like, there yeah. is there is a strong chance that there are going to be a bunch of schools that are like, awesome, we finally have that machine that we can buy. That, we can get a new one at a great that's price. That's the iPad for us. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And I, I wonder if this, if we're going to see an impact on unit sales. I think that would be really interesting to see what, what the results look like of this quarter. Well, we haven't even talked about the, I mean, we mentioned it on a previous show. The average, if you look at the average selling price for the iPad, so when we get the quarterly results, one of the things you can do, they say how much iPad, how many units they sold and how much money they made or money they, uh, revenue they generated, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you divide those and what do you get is the average iPad sold for this many dollars. And it's very clear that after a brief bump when the iPad Pro was released, the average selling price has gone way down. And it, like the last two quarters, so the last six months, what iPads have been selling the cheapest iPads. Mm-hmm. The cheapest iPads yep. have been selling. The average selling price of the iPad is quite low. And so it is not hard to look at that and say, huh, that's uh, maybe a market that Apple should find a way to serve. And this is the answer, right? This is the answer. Is they built a product for that market. And, the, and, and they're allowing the iPad to be both of these things, to be a 329 bare bones iPad that sold to somebody who want, who just wants an iPad or sold to education at a further discount, you know, because it's an education price they have. So it would be even less than what a consumer would pay for it. And then up at the high end, you can buy an iPad Pro with cellular, you know, with a lot of storage for more than a thousand dollars. And then, you know, you can just choose which path to go and the iPad can serve both. Um, There was... 
I just say, like, you know, we're, we're focused on education a little bit here. But, um, of course, this iPad is for anyone, right? Like, it's good. It's a good machine. It will run kind of any app well. You know, it, I think it's perfect for the tasks that most people use their iPads for, like games and browsing and video, like exactly what Apple is showing on the marketing pages. Yeah, I mean, right? It, 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 a lot of people, that's why I think the numbers are the way they are, is for a lot of people, the iPad is not... This is the great argument, right? When you get in an argument about um, uh, iPad suitability as a pro device, right? It's like there is a segment of people who really care about the iPad as a pro device. And then there's another segment who does not, yep. who looks at the iPad and it's like, yeah, but it, it's just an iPad. All I really want to do is watch some videos and play some games and check my email. Uh-huh. Like, all right, here we go. We've got We've got some clarity here about this, that we've got 329 iPad and then 599 iPad Pro and that that is pretty clear right $270 difference between those two so that's what it's like you can save $270 if you don't care about all that other stuff and the reality is, is that somebody who cares enough about the iPad Pro I find it actually a little curious that the iPad Pros still offer a 32 gig version because at some point you could probably take that away or increase it to 64 and increase the price a little bit because you're no longer trying to get the iPad Pro down to the low, low price to get people in who don't care about that stuff. And if the iPad Pro is serving a more professional power user uh, specs focused market, then you have the freedom. And we may see this in the new generation of iPad Pros. You have the freedom to raise the price. And raise the specs because they're paying for those specs. So does you know does anybody really want a 32 gig 12.9 inch iPad Pro? Probably not. So get it out of there. You don't need it now. Yeah. Other iPads serve that market. A couple of uh, just tidbits about this iPad. Um, Jason mentioned fifth generation. So I, I want to kind of run through what this product line has been called. Like if we call this a regular iPad. So like the the kind of evolution of the original iPad, this is what it's been called right. over time. iPad, iPad 2, the new iPad with Retina Display, iPad Air, iPad Air 2, and now iPad. Um, and Apple is calling this the fifth generation iPad yeah. in technical and support documents. Yeah, it's actually iPad, iPad 2, iPad with Retina Display. Well, or the new iPad with Retina Display. iPad with Retina Display, right? Did you say that twice? <laughs> Oh, because <laughs> there's the yeah. third and the fourth, right? Because they did the yes. quick turnaround where the third generation iPad was the first Retina iPad. And they said, this is just the new iPad. Yes. But really what it was is it was an iPad third generation. And then like not very long, nine months later, six months later, they came out with the fourth generation model because the third generation that. model, yep. which we had one of those, really struggled to drive all of those pixels. And then they did an upgrade and the fourth generation model was a much more capable Retina iPad. And then they went Air and Air 2. So in in some ways, this is the seventh iPad, mainstream iPad, or even arguably the eighth, but they're not counting it that way. They're counting it as the fifth. The iPad Air was a divergence. The iPad Pro was a divergence. But this is the fifth model to be called just iPad. Um, iPad 2 got retconned. It's iPad 2 means second generation iPad, apparently. But they, they steered away from that pretty quickly on the iPad side. iPad Mini still has a number. I don't know. It's inconsistent. I, I, I get the feeling that they're calling in all the debts and going to the mattresses, yeah. and pretty soon uh, all the numbers are going to be gone. 
And one last little tidbit. I have to mention it because everyone in the UK will be super mad if I don't. So this iPad is, I think, the first product to actually cost more in pure number value in pounds than dollars. So the $329 iPad is £339. So the actual currency conversion makes it $429. That's what £339 is. Uh, so it's it's just uh, an interesting thing to see that not only is it, you know, it's always more expensive, right? Just in, in like currency conversion. But now just like the actual numbers, it is a £339 iPad. And that's Brexit. So well, uh, yeah, I was going to say, just, just to put this in perspective, when I uh, last went to the UK, it was about $1.6 um, to the pound. Mm-hmm. And it's $1.26 yep. to the pound now. Yep. And we see this a lot in, which is great because I'm going to the UK next week. So yay, the whole country <laughs> is cheaper. Um, but the so thank you for that. Thank you for your economy being potentially destroyed, Mike. Uh, it makes it cheaper for American tourists. Anyway, um, Apple has to deal with this worldwide, right? Because Apple deals in American dollars. And so Apple has this challenge overseas. And what they don't want to do is have fluctuating prices where depending on the day you walk into an Apple store in Australia or in the United Kingdom or anywhere else, that uh, iPad costs slightly different because of currency. They're not going to do that. But they've been burned a bunch of times. So they, they, I think they want to be competitive. They don't want to be priced out of markets. We've seen that actually historically Apple has been really bad in Australia where they've, they've overpriced their systems in Australia because of they claim because of conversions, but it ended up being way more expensive than it was to buy it in the States. And that's still true from place to place. But this is an interesting example where Apple's just said, no, we're going to protect ourselves. I think this is Apple um, to your point. um, I think this is Apple protecting against more um, drop in the pound. Cause it's going to happen from Brexit. And and so they're just pricing it where they think it's going to go. The end of this week is when we trigger Article 50, which is right. the UK saying to the EU, oh, you know, we're definitely going. So it's very likely that, th- that the pound will take another hit at right. that point. So Apple, I think, is, is quite rightly for a business. They are forecasting that it's going to be more and more expensive for them to sell products here. So they're preparing for it. Yeah, and Apple would rather not change the price of this product later. That's really what's going on here. Let's say that yeah. something happens in the UK and the the strength of the pound goes way back up. Then, yeah, then maybe in six months or a year, Apple goes, okay, we got to change the price. Yep. But right now, they're anticipating it's going to go the other way. And what this, the, so they're placing a bet, and this allows them to not change the price. Mm-hmm. Whereas on some of their other products, if if the pound keeps going down, they will continue probably to reprice every so often but i i know they hate to do that right you want to be consistent the last thing you want to do is do a a price hike in a country but you know but those valuations eat into their profit margins you know right because in the end they're, they're um you know they're paying what they're paying and it's a consistent amount and then suddenly the money that's coming back to them if they bring it back um of course they leave a lot of cash outside of the US but I think that you know they're thinking in terms of the the dollar and so they want it they want it to be the price consistently around the world yep this mean the net result of this is that um, if you wanted one of these you would buy it when you're in the US right <laughs> I'm gonna be reverting to a lot of my decisions that I made a few years ago yeah which was to yeah. pick up some devices that were you know not critical uh, when I'm making US trips 
Well, and an iPad you could get. Of course, and then I will pay the the, the taxes at the border. The challenge is with um, you can't buy a laptop in the U.S. right because you're going to get the ridiculous U.S. keyboard. I've done it. Can you do? I wonder. Can you can you buy a UK keyboard at the U.S. Apple Store? I not at the store. You might be able to buy it online. Online, I mean, and then have it shipped to wherever you're going to be. And I Maybe. don't know. That might. Be. I mean, you can buy U.S. layout keyboards in the UK. So well, of I course. expect you could USA. probably do oh, USA. God. USA. <sighs> I'm sure you could probably do the same in the other way. Let's just talk real quickly <laughs> about the missing iPads from okay. last week's announcements. I mean, I think that we are all pretty much expecting an iPad Pro bump. Not happening yet. So these aren't it, right? Like, these are not that. No. So where are where, where are they, Jason? Where is the 9.7 and 12.9 inch? Where are I- they? I have some theories. Uh, one theory is that there's an iOS update that's required for them that isn't ready. Mm-hmm. And so they are saving them for another... It could be an event in April. It could be another press release in April or May. Um, they could save them for WWDC in June. Um, they could save them for the fall for iOS 11. There's a lot of things that they could do um, that they're they're getting a little long in the tooth in the sense that the i you know the iPad Pro 12.9 has been was announced in September of uh, 15, but didn't ship until like December of 15, I think, uh-huh. or November of 15. Um, late anyway, but still, it's been a long. It's been more than a year, and it's been it's been about a year for the iPad Pro 9.7 now. So. Um, if they're keeping that on a yearish schedule, you would think that there would be one soon. And there are rumors out there about them, but we don't have them yet. I mean, the, th- the, the thing about Apple doing things by press release is that they, um, they, it doesn't take a long time to do a press release. I mean, there's a lot of work in the background. I had this conversation with Michael Gartenberg on Twitter the other week because, you know, he used to work at Apple. And, you know, there's work that goes into product launches, right? It's not like they can flip a switch and launch a product. There's not just the product, but the crafting and all that. But the work to release a product by press release is less than the work to release a product by event, because then you have to set do event planning, and that takes time. And if it's not on a, a on an on campus venue, that takes more time, and there's more opportunity for leaks and things like that so this is you know i i think it's an open question will apple even do an event between now and wwdc it's possible that they won't and they don't need to right we we all covered and are still covering those press releases from last tuesday it'd be very easy for apple to do that or to brief some key journalists beforehand although they very rarely brief journalists on unannounced hardware um but they could try it apple's doing a lot of things that they didn't used to do so, you know, <laughs> and not a lot of things that they used to do. <laughs> and the new iPads, like those new iPads that we're talking about are uh-huh. not new, right? They're they're speed bumps uh, like we would call them. They're pro- they're they're internals upgrades, yeah. right? There's probably not going to be a new Now, if they, if that 10.5-inch iPad exists exists, I think they would want to introduce that in an event. Yes. But they could they could rev the iPad Pros now if they wanted to, like buy a press release tomorrow or in two weeks, if they wanted to, whenever, um, and hold that 10.5 for the fall, you know, that's a big step up for that product line. So yep. maybe that's a fall product or maybe it's a WWDC product. Um, they could totally do that. That's, that's, I think for me right now, that's my best guess about what the, the dividing line is between we need to have an event and not is if it's an entirely new product, 
that's a that's a, a, a computing device. It's not like a new trackpad or something like that. An entirely new product. I think you want to have a stage for it and not just do that by press release. So I've been thinking a lot about this, right? About the iPad Pro. And yep. I'm thinking that the expect the, what our expectations of what the next iPad Pros were going to be, um, if that was what it was, we would have got them last week, which was new processors and like the 12, like in the 9.7, because we were expecting there to be a 9.7. Um, and then maybe new processors and the True Tone in the 12.9, right? So like they basically are the same, but they just have some speed bumps and some slight changes right. to them. But we also had this rumor, right, of this magical 10.5-inch iPad Pro. So what I'm starting to think now is that the rumor was always from the supply chain that there were going to be three iPad Pro sizes, right? Right. I don't think there ever was going to be. I think what now, like more I've been thinking about this, what the supply chain thought was the 9.7-inch iPad Pro was the iPad we got. Is this one. And that, that that we'll get an iPad Pro announcement in June or you know at some point this year, but there will only be two of them: the ten five and the and the twelve nine. Yep, and that hopefully maybe, um, and I think John Gruber said this in a piece which I haven't actually read yet, but it's in my queue to read that you know he thinks that the twelve nine would get the same kind of design as the ten five, and that maybe they wouldn't do any of this until after the next iPhone is released because. The iPhone probably go bezel-less first. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know about that, but I do think that they would release two of them together that look the same, I think. It could happen that the iPhone gets released first, this, this rumored bezel-less iPhone, followed by the iPad. I don't think I believe that Apple wouldn't release a bezel-reduced iPad in advance of the iPhone because they're afraid that it will steal its bezel thunder. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't <laughs> think that right? I mean like well, it stole the true tone mm-hmm. thunder of the iPhone. There's still no the iPad has features That's the iPhone point. doesn't have and it's okay, right? It's okay. They're different. It has it has the smart connector. It has true tone. Uh you I know, also it's, think that this iPad will not be as bezel-less as the iPhone will be. I agree with that, right. Yeah, yeah. And totally. it also won't be an OLED screen, I don't think. Exactly, right? So I, I just I, I don't believe that one. I that's an argument. It could it could be true, but I I don't see any evidence that Apple is going to withhold, oh, we've got this great new iPad ready to go, but it's got kind of really reduced bezels, and we've got another product coming in six months that's got some reduced bezels too. And so we better wait for, and hold this product back while the other one premieres. Nah, I mean, I just, I just don't. It, I, I have a hard time believing that that is reason enough to hold that product back. That maybe yeah. there are other reasons, but I think they could absolutely re- release that product, that and sense. maybe it's a you know a hint of things to come. Um, I, I, that's yeah. I think Apple could get away with it easily, and they they wouldn't hold it back. So I'm skeptical about that approach. That that thought about apple's approach anyway. this, is, this is where i think we are right i think that this there is this new design coming to the pros which will even further push the pro line away from the regular ipad and that there was never going to be a 9.7 inch ipad pro there was always just going to be this 10.5 and the 12.9 uh, but they're not ready yet 
and that the 9.7-inch yeah. iPad Pro was actually an iPad. Um, makes, and that's what we got. Makes a lot of sense if you think about, like, why would we have two iPads that are the same size but have different screens, right? Now we know the answer. Well, that was always the weirdest part of the rumor. Right. The only, like, explanation was that it was like what the iPhones are going to be like, where the iPad yeah. Pros stay the same, but the 10.5 is this more expensive model in the middle. But I don't, you know, even then it was like, well, that's muddying the iPad Pro line past the point it needs to be. Um, so they could just have two of them, you know? And it makes me feel better about this idea that the 9.7 or the 10.5 in case that that size is the iPad mini of the 12.9 that that in the end, what are the iPad pros? The iPad pros are this higher resolution. They're the big screen and there's a big one and a little one, but they have the same resolution. The apps look the same on both of them. They have a smart connector. Presumably they'll both have P3 color gamut. They'll both have true tone that, you know, they will have, we will have finally after a year plus of weirdness, a, a, a rev of the iPad pros could get them parallel where the features are the same, like all the features are the same, except yeah. the, the physical size of it. And I think that would be great. I think that would be really good for the iPad and, and, uh, as we said earlier, I think you call them the iPad, the new iPad Pros in these sizes, and yeah. you don't call them generation whatever, and you don't age out the old ones for cheaper. You do it like you do a laptop, which is the old ones are gone, the new ones are here, and if you want cheaper, get an iPad. Don't get last year's yeah. iPad Pro. Get an iPad if you want cheaper, but the iPad Pro costs what it costs. Yep. Which and I they think just is did that to the air, to right? Like they've shown that they're willing to do that with the in the yep. iPad line. You can't buy an iPad Air anymore. That regular nine point seven inch screen iPad, there's one of them. They they just cut out the old ones, put in the new one, job done. And and that's what I think we both think would and hope they'll do with the, the iPad Pro. This week's episode yeah. is brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. Websites of all sizes can be attacked, and this happens every single day. Criminals use giant botnets to scrape website content. They try and break into databases and bring sites down with those denial-of-service attacks. Encapsula's network holds three terabits per second of on-demand scrubbing capacity and can process 30 billion attacks per second. I like to think of this scrubbing capacity as just like a really hard-working network. It's like, get away, and it's just like rubbing. Anyway, this is why Encapsula's network has successfully defended some of the largest website attacks on record. And... If there's anything bad happening to your website, you can see it as it happens on the Encapsular dashboard to help you adjust your security policies on the fly. If you are attacked, Encapsular's powerful CDN ensures that your content is delivered to your customers fast. You don't want people bailing on your site, and with Encapsular, they would have no idea that anything bad was happening. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to Encapsular.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you'll find out more about their service and claim your free month. Thank you to Encapsular for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. Breaking, breaking news, breaking news, as is tradition on Upgrade as we record this. Apple has released software updates, and this time it's worth talking about at least briefly because they're the final versions. Woo! <laughs> so iOS, I, we can't tell you about them because they just came out, but iOS 10.3 and I think macOS 10.12.4 should be coming out too, and the watchOS update... They're all out there. 
I think iOS 10.3's big consumer feature is Find My AirPods, right? Right. That's it. Adding AirPods to Find My iPhone. Um, uh, they say more ways to use Siri with pavement, ride booking, and automaker apps. But uh, And APFS, right? <laughs> I think AP, the new file yes. system happens yeah, in the, the background, too. But it's uh it's out now, so we'll you know we have nothing to report about it. These are these are basically minor updates. Oh, and uh, the Mac OS update should add uh, Night Shift. I believe that's a, that's a Mac OS. That's I, a th- good I think that's a Mac OS feature. Yeah. Uh, in that update too, but those that are all coming like, out. This funnily week. enough, it feels like the Mac OS is getting the biggest feature out of both of these releases. Yeah, but it's a, it's a feature that was already in iOS. I know. So they just I got know, it late. I know, but you know. That's that's really cool for the Mac, I think. You know, I'm 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 excited about that. Not that I'm going to be running Sierra on my iMac because I'm a scared person. I did just put yeah. it on my MacBook though. So I did I just so I I'm bringing because I'm doing many 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 podcasts while I'm traveling. I All the great shows, you might say. All the great shows, turns out. So, um I updated my macbook air my trusty 11 inch macbook air will be joining me in europe and um (laughs) sorry in europe and also in the uk oh look what i did there um and i updated to sierra you just i I know i know we're not being thrown out of the continent you know (laughs) well i think geography kind of threw you out of the continent right there's some water in the way there but I know it's painful. So um, MacBook Air is updated to Sierra, uh, I mean, which so I didn't no, do for a long time. If you want to do this, right? I mean, you're hardly in the best political climate. Oh right no, I, I was going to say that the dark, dark humor, black humor is the or, is the uh, order of the day, uh-huh. Mike. That's all I can do. <laughs> uh, so my MacBook Air, my trusty 11 inch MacBook Air that I didn't take on my last trip to Europe because I had a test MacBook Pro, right? But yep. I'm back to the 11 inch Air, and I'm going to bring it with me. It's great for podcast editing and. And uh, it's a little more versatile, and I don't want to. I do. I'm doing a lot of podcast editing when I'm there because I'm doing old radio, and so I want to have my. I want to have logic. I don't want to uh, use my iPad for that because I don't want to. I don't want to stress it. I, I'm concerned that I might. I might let down the good people at Ool if I have any technical problems, and I. I don't want to do that. And the MacBook Air is very small, but I did upgrade it to Sierra finally because I just decided. Now is the time. I, I, you know, I was using it as the compare device of compare. If I if I look at something and say, "Was this in El Capitan?" I could open my laptop and see. And now I I can't check that anymore because I'm I'm running Sierra everywhere. But so I'm uh yeah. So I finally did the same thing you did. It's laptop. Laptop is on there. But my Mac's been on Sierra for almost a year now because you know really since last summer. So uh, last Friday, um, it came out via TechCrunch that mm-hmm. Apple had acquired Workflow, uh, the application that I use a lot, Federico uses a lot, and then you use some. And you know, I know that like you know we spoke about it at the top of the show that you use it, I use it. Um, it's an application that many people use to help them do um, additional things on iOS and power user things, some stuff that otherwise iOS struggles with. Kind of for anybody that uses um, iPads or iPhones to get their work done, Workflow is a is a really really useful tool. In fact, like it's a useful toolbox of little things that you can do that are made easier on iOS because Workflow exists. Um, Apple has bought the app and the team so um, I think the three founders and then they had uh, one engineer 
who was going to work with them. So I, th- I believe team of four were all going over to work um, at the mothership. And the app is still around. It's actually free now. I think it used to be like two ninety nine or four ninety nine, something like that. Um, and it is remaining in the store. We don't know how long for, but we assume for a significant amount of time because they changed the business model for it, right? They made it a free app. Um, Apple also made, uh, not Apple, but the workflow team made an update as well, um, which removes some features, changed some features, add fix some bugs, right? There's, you know, there's some stuff going on. So I wanted to ask you, Jason. Now, yes. you've, I'm sure, over time have seen... Apple acquisitions of services, of teams, of applications. <laughs> you know, you've, you've seen Apple Sherlock things. Sherlocking is a little different, but I know. But yeah, I mean, Sherlocking. This is some, somebody could argue that workflow being bought by Apple is preventing it from being Sherlocked because Sherlocking is the approach where there's a feature. We mentioned Night Shift earlier, right? There are there were some like jailbreak apps that did that. And on the Mac, there are apps that do that. Flux. And now Apple, with this Mac release, Apple is Sherlocking the uh, Night Shift-like apps on the Mac by building a feature that was previously in a third-party app into the operating system. Mm-hmm. And there are extenuating circumstances there, and that's a good example. But of course, the Sherlock app was a great example of that, where there was a, an app called Watson that did a lot of web queries when you typed in a search and then Apple released Sherlock which did the exact same thing and did it in the system and that was that you know so you could argue that maybe if Apple felt like they needed to move down the path of doing iOS automation that they would have to Sherlock uh, workflow they would have to um, make workflow basically irrelevant by building their own integrated system level uh, automation system, and so you could you could make, maybe make the argument that this purchase saves workflow from being Sherlocked. So, based on your history, what do you yes. think is going to happen to workflow? Well, I mean, there's the pessimistic view and the optimistic view. My opt, I, I choose to be optimistic, Mike. I choose to be optimistic. If you look, and there are examples, you know, Siri has been brought up that Siri was bought and integrated into the, into the core OS. Test Flight was bought and integrated into the core OS. Um, the, the, or, or the core workflow of what it was meant to do. Like Test Flight still does what it did before. In some ways it does it way better because it's got the power of Apple behind it now. So I'm choosing to be optimistic. I'm choosing to decide that the reason Apple bought workflow is not because they thought the workflow engineers were really brilliant and they always are in the market for more brilliant iOS engineers, and they don't really want workflow, but they want the people, and it's an aqua hire, right? And the people who workflow like couldn't make the business work and were seeking an acquisition, and this was a, a lifeboat for them. That That's the pessimistic view here. I choose to be optimistic and think Apple liked workflow, was well aware of it, has been working with those guys for quite a while on getting them approved, right? Because I think it was unclear whether this was an approvable app to begin with. They won an um, ADA. And they, they won an ADA, right? All of these all of these ties there. So I choose to believe that Apple is well aware of the power of this. And when you're looking at the iPad Pro and you're looking at the future of iOS as a, an environment that needs to offer more to people who have more needs, the power users of iOS. And that, that may not all be 
doing automation, but like if you've got a product like the iPad Pro and you're really trying to push people on what the iPad Pro can do and you think it's the future of your of your professional computer platform in you know in the long run, which goes back to something we've talked about before about like you know is the Mac around 10 years from now as anything but a legacy product what is apple's focus on what the replacement for the mac is in five or ten years um the answer is probably ios because that's their new their modern next generation operating system and it's already here but this is a missing piece right it workflow works within the context of ios but it does this thing that the system should probably do and doesn't and that they looked at this and said why would we you know if we could buy these guys (laughs) We can integrate this app into the system and give them access to stuff they don't have access to now. And we can keep it from having access to things that are, you know, security problems, but we can give them access to things that other apps don't get access to. And we can use this as the foundation of our automation strategy on iOS and maybe on Mac OS too, but certainly on iOS that this it's proven to work and people love it. And so why not pick it up? Like, like how Twitter picked up at replies and hashtags and said, oh, that's a great idea. People who are not at Twitter, let's do that. That Apple's like, oh, workflow, X callback URL. Uh, these are all, the, look, everybody made it work. We're going we're gonna to authorize it. We're going to make it official. We're going to consecrate that and say, th- yes, this is how you do that and then build on it. So that's, that's my optimistic view is that this will turn into something that will be different and will potentially have limitations that the that workflow on the outside didn't have but will also have a whole lot of power that workflow on the outside did not have access to and that um apple will have people internally who are pushing to open that's the part that really excites me pushing to open stuff that's just been barred that like you can't do that apps can't do that but that the system can do and that like apple's apps can do that potentially workflow could do to make this all, um, you know, better for people who want to to connect this stuff together. And I feel like this is one of the great things about workflow is that workflow is all about connecting apps, and app, you know the apps have been so successful on iOS, and workflow is fits into Apple's view of the world on iOS, which is workflow is a tool that lets your apps talk to each other and talk to workflow and build things out of the power of all of your apps that the individual apps can't do themselves. Like it's a good story on top of it. So that's, that's my optimism is that, is that Apple will actually keep doing something like workflow, maybe even keeping it called workflow and have it be much more of a central part in the operating system going forward because, um, or, or next to the operating system, like Swift playgrounds is not quite in, but it's, adjacent and have you know the ability to broaden uh and and have apple bless their approach for power user stuff on ios do you envision that some of this advancement will occur like advancement to workflows previously occurred with like updates to the application or do you think it's going to be kind of like all quiet on the western front until a version of ios in which workflow is part of the system or is like how you can download something like itunes u but like it's all redesigned it's part of the apple system and it has more features like all in one it it could be that workflow is um its own thing and it could be that workflow sinks beneath the sea and is replaced with some automation settings somewhere i feel like just like with automator there will be an app 
and it might just be called workflow. Yeah. Um, it's a good name. It's great. I name. think it's a better name than automator. It's way better. Um, maybe it'll get a more boring icon. <laughs> yeah, it probably will. Right. But you know, I think, I think it, I think it works. All right. So let me ask you a question. Assuming that Apple have bought this app to enhance automation on iOS and maybe on macOS, right? They might bring something like this to macOS. Why was Salsa Glenn let go? Well, I mean, who knows? My, who knows? Sal maybe doesn't even know. People at Apple know. I look at this and I think Apple wants to change its approach to automation. Mm-hmm. That, um, that, uh, the Apple that Sal and his team, you know, somebody could make the argument they were rooted in an Apple script, which is, you know, typing in, typing in big, uh, you know, scripting language stuff like that, that you, you could, somebody could make the argument is a very kind of eighties and nineties approach and that they did automator, but that, you know, it's still based on, you know, on Apple events and scripting and things like that. And then maybe Apple has a new approach. It could be politics. It could be literally like these guys are going to fight us on keeping all this old stuff around and we just want to clear the board and do something new. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, it doesn't make sense. The, the the narrative that Apple doesn't care about automation and that's why they killed the team doesn't really follow if they buy workflow for automation. Instead, you have to have a narrative that either they're not buying workflow for automation, but just to take the people or they're, the issues with Sal and his team were not about automation per se but about maybe their approach or their political liabilities in the organization i mean it's entirely possible that that there's just you know groups within apple that said i don't i don't like those guys i don't trust those guys and you know clearly they had a from what i do know is that there was a you know a, a problematic relationship with, between that group and, and and other parts of apple and they were frustrated frustrated by it so i don't know um that it's all speculation. That's all. That's all I can. I, I can say is that I don't. I literally do not know the backstory about why they did it. Um, but that's my my gut feeling is it has something to do with that. They either didn't like their approach or didn't believe them when they said that they embraced other approaches, or there was some political issue where that you know they're like I don't I don't you know want those guys around anymore. I don't. But I don't know. I I, I can come up with a menu of sure. possibilities, but that's about. I it. think the logic is sound, though, right? Like that there was somebody disagreed with someone when it came to looking at the future of automation on Mac platform on on Apple platforms, right? Like, however it was done, right? Like with whether like it was Apple didn't agree with where Sal wanted to go, or Sal didn't agree where where Apple wanted to go, and then maybe the workflow thing was also built yep. into it. Like, it looks like that there was a difference of opinion because, as you say, clearly, clearly Apple has not said we don't believe in automation because they just bought an app that does it and are keeping it around, right? And and for what you know, for what we've seen so far, continuing to allow the team to support that application and have set it up so it can continue, right? Yeah. Um, so they clearly are not against automation, but there was something something about maybe the old ways of working that they didn't want to continue with, or whatever it might be. Pure speculation, of course. I will say that um, something kind of cool, I think this is very cool, actually. Uh, Sal Sagoyan was on Mac Power Users this week um, on episode 317. I'll put a link in the show notes in case you want to go and check that. But I will ask, Jason, would you want to see... Workflow for Mac? Yes, in the long run, because 
I, I, what I try to do is imagine what that might look like. And I think what it might look like is Apple saying, here's what we're going to do is Apple events are going to be deprecated and we're going to do everything through URLs like we do on iOS. And you register for URLs, custom URLs, and data gets passed in a URL string. And you have access to the share buttons in apps and you have access via widgets and you have access via uh, items in the finder that basically are running the background workflow service. And it basically replaces Automator and maybe it has hooks in it for more traditional scripting stuff like shell scripts or Apple scripts or whatever. But that really what you're doing is saying in the long run, this is how we've decided across all platforms to connect apps together. And most modern app developers on iOS have embraced this. So Mac developers embrace it too. I don't know whether they would do that or not. It depends on how much of a legacy they feel, a legacy system they feel Mac OS is. You know, they might be like, you know, you got Automator, you got Apple Script, whatever. I do wonder if there is a another shoe to drop here. And Swift is what I keep coming back to, which is it wouldn't surprise me if Apple pushes Swift as the next generation of user scripting for Mac and iOS. That they go beyond, you know, Swift Playgrounds. They say, you know, when they um, they talked to Chris Latner on ATP, I think he mentioned this at one point that, you know, Swift is designed to be everything from, you know, server development environment to app development to user scripting to, you know, to a, a, a much simpler sort of scripting approach. It should be able to do all of those things, ultimately. And so I do wonder about that. If, if maybe that's their, th- what they're really doing here is saying, look, we're going we're gonna to kill AppleScript. Um, we're going we're gonna to maybe kill uh, Apple events on the Mac or deprecate them. So, because every app uses it now, but like in the long run, instead, we're going to use this, this other protocol and, or even if they keep it around, like, but, but the story is going to be swift. Uh, that might happen on both platforms. I, I still, part of me just thinks, uh, are they going to want to bring that to the Mac? Or are they just going to let the Mac, this is that, this is a, a small version of the larger argument, which is why break things on the Mac? If the Mac is your legacy platform and people use things on the Mac because they have worked that way on the Mac for 20 years why break it just leave it there maybe add the new thing maybe don't even add the new thing and just say that's a that's one of the great things that's on ios now and then walk away and so i guess i guess we'll see what they're feeling about that but um but you know i feel like you can do everything you can do in workflow on the mac now so you don't need it there it's just a matter of apple wanted to come in and say no from now you know now this is the thing everywhere um and I don't know. I, I would say if Apple's going to take iOS or macOS to a lockdown place in the future that feels much more like iOS, um, where you can't run arbitrary scripts and get to the terminal and things like that, if they go there, then they have to have something like Workflow. Workflow on iOS is now free and seems to be at least for a while sticking about. So if you haven't tried it, you should. And as we said earlier in the show and in the show notes, Jason put together... Some of his favorites, some of his favorite workflows. A couple of weeks ago on Connected, me and Federico and Steven shared some of our favorite workflows. Ironically enough, on that episode, we spoke about what would happen if workflow ever went away. And I think we came to the conclusion that we didn't think it would happen. And I believe we may have mentioned the possibility of Apple acquiring them at some point, but kind of all raw buzz. If it hasn't happened by now, surely it's not going (laughs) to happen. 
Um, and if you want to hear me and uh, Federico, especially, I guess, commiserate and opt like and kind of hope. Uh, we're going to be talking about this more on Connected this week as well, if you want to kind of hear more on the subject, uh, because it is so important to Federico especially, right? So um, I'm interested to see how he feels on this. Um, I feel like I've been going through, like, the seven stages, stages of the grieving stages of process. Grief, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, honestly, I don't even know how I feel about this right now. I, I really don't. Like, I, I, I will say I don't feel very hopeful. Um, I, I just don't. Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel about this right now. Like, I'm kind of using workflow still every day, and I'm like thinking about like what do I have anything that can do the stuff that I'm doing here? Like, what do I have? You know, and I'm just thinking about it. I'm preparing because no matter what it's going to be, um, it's not going to be what it is now. That could be good or bad, but it's not going to be what it is now in uh, two years. That- time. That I agree with. I think it's unlikely. Although, you know, test flight is not very different than it was when Apple yeah, bought it. Yeah, and it's better. Right? That's what, I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be worse, but it's going to be different. And I think yeah. some of the things that I do right now, I won't be able to do anymore. Like, I wonder, will Apple embrace web APIs, like Workflow? If they take Workflow away and say, like, here is our version to go forward? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So if you want to, you know, I know Federico spent a lot more time thinking about this than I have. So I'm sure you have some stuff to say as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I choose to be optimistic, but you are right. Things will be different almost certainly, but the, (laughs) the trade-off of having a, an automation utility that is already right on the edge of like what an app should be able to do. Have access as a blessed Apple app to potentially do things that no App Store app would ever be allowed to do. The upside for that is huge. And so, you know, would I, would I make the gamble if I had to choose of like, all right, well, you can put app, put workflow inside of Apple and see what happens. And there's a chance that you're going to have access to all this amazing stuff. But they might also ruin it totally or make it go away. I don't know if I would take that bet. You know, I, I might just choose to say, let's let it ride. Let's leave it where it is. It's all good, right? Mm-hmm. But the potential for iOS, thinking not just about workflow, but thinking about doing work on iOS, the potential there for workflow or something that is based on workflow to harness core operating system functionality that nobody has access to is huge. It's huge. Like it could potentially be a game changing feature for iOS. And yeah, it may not be the same. And for certain tasks, it may, may cease to be functional, but if they do it right, I might be willing to make that trade because of the power that you can get once you're inside Apple and you're vetted by the people at Apple and you're granted access to things that nobody outside of Apple can grant access to. And by putting it in workflow, you're granting access to the users to those features. And that makes iOS better. So that's why I choose to be optimistic is that if done right, this will make iOS better. I, I would love that. I would love that. 
but like I just can't get it out of my head that there's also a bad part. And if that bad part does happen, it seriously affects the way that I get my work done. I feel like what I'm telling you, Mike, is workflow is dead, but it's going to a better place. <laughs> <laughs> is it going to the app farm? No, I, I think yeah, it's going to a, a, the app farm upstate. The, no, I think the better way to do it would be to say, like, actually, I'm going to take it back to the Segoian family. So, like, Chris Segoian, Sal's nephew, was at the ACLU. He was their, like, security and technology lead. And he, he left there to work in Washington, D.C., at at a it's hard to even explain what it is but it's like a policy seminar kind of place and the idea there is he is going behind the scenes he's not going to be able to tweet anymore you know he's gone behind the scenes but he is i'm going to assume he's doing good he is teaching people in washington about security issues so that we don't look at 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 politicians and their staffs in washington dc in in a few years and say they literally have no idea what they're talking about which is kind of how they are right now and that's the trade-off is like we lost access to this great voice who has lots of smart interesting things to say to the public but the world may be better off because of what he's doing now so you know it's a little bit like that which is workflow is maybe gonna go away or at least change but it may make ios a much better place in the end um, not, and I'm not saying in just that they're going to take the, the engineers from workflow and have them work on a new springboard or something like that. That's not what I mean. That would be a, a complete failure and a crushing disappointment if that happened. But if workflow, the spirit of workflow affects iOS to make it far more powerful than it is now, then that'll be awesome. So hold on to that, Mike, as you're in your acceptance phase. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Hey, make your next move with Squarespace. With a unique domain, award-winning templates and more, they let you easily create that website that you have for your next idea. Maybe you want to create a blog, portfolio, online store, site for your restaurant. Maybe you want to create something for your local community group. Maybe you want to make a band for your website. Maybe you want to make a, a, a website for your podcast. It doesn't matter what you want to do. Squarespace is the only one platform that lets you do just that. You can build their pages really easily. It's all drag and drop on the web. You can pull in and integrate with a bunch of other services. You can and then drag in these little blocks that they call them. So you can have people maybe sign up to your mailing list. Or you used to say you can have people buy things from you. So physical or digital goods for Squarespace. It is the all-in-one platform that lets you do any and all of that. There's nothing to install. No patches to worry about. No upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that tricky, nasty stuff for Squarespace because they've got you covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. Their templates are beautiful. They all feature responsive design to help you show off your great ideas. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Then when you sign up, use the offer code UPGRADE to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode of Upgrade and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So we start the show with hashtag Snell Talk. We end the show with hashtag AskUpgrade. Lucas wants to know, do you think there will be a new iPad mini? Yes. You do? I do. I think there will be. I think it will be the iPad mini without a number, like we said earlier, fifth generation. And it will be, um, you know, it will be down there in the 
in the iPad line, you know, it's like there'll be the iPad and the iPad mini and they'll be buddies. I think that's probably the case. I think there's still people out there who want small. iPad minis are great for kids. Like they're great for kids. My son still uses an iPad mini and he's, he's 12 now, but like he has grown up with the iPad mini size and you know, he has small hands and it, it, it works great for him. Um, so I, I do think there's a place for the iPad mini. I'm skeptical about whether there's like a pro iPad mini that needs to exist. But uh, now that we've got the iPad back, I feel like there will still be an iPad mini as well to run on side it. But that the next version might be, uh, you know, might might be in the same style of like cheaper mm-hmm. and maybe not as cutting edge. The iPad Mini's kind of already been there, but um, also it's very weird. Can I say that they that the with the new changes they've on, they're only selling a 128 version of the iPad Mini Four? It's weird. That's weird. That fact makes me think there might not be any more after this one. They're just trying to pry, trying to trying to get them out the door and then and so. then close it off. I feel like there's a use case for it. Why would you do that? It seems so strange. Like from pricing and stuff. Like it's just really weird. Yeah. I don't know. It is weird. Yeah, it costs more. It costs more to get an iPad mini than an iPad, although you could argue like it's a specialty thing and yeah. it's like you're paying for the, the, and the smallness reason you, you of get it. And you get in but... a big story. Like, there's a reason, but it's like it's it just seems... Yeah. Like I, I would have expected them to have it be like an iPad mini for 32 only. Yeah. Instead, they went 128 only. But I do... Makes it if I had If I had to bet, I would bet there will be a new iPad mini at some point that will be maybe drop the number entirely and will just be a, you know, a, a buddy to the iPad fifth generation. Tim wants to know if we use a VPN to protect browsing privacy. Jason, do you? I don't. Um, I'm open to the idea because there's a lot of talk, especially in the U.S., that that um, there might be legislation to change what like your your internet provider is is monitoring from your browsing in- information and selling that. Um, so I've thought about it, although of course the VPN provider can can look at your traffic too. Yep. So um uh so I, I don't know. I I have a VPN if I uh, so I have TunnelBear and one of the features that TunnelBear has is it's got a, a Chrome extension. I don't think it has a Safari extension. The great thing about the Chrome extension is I can VPN my web traffic only. I can just turn on the Chrome oh, that's extension. Cool. And just use TunnelBear to tunnel my web traffic. So it would be fine um, for this Skype call. Exactly right. So the, there wouldn't be any encryption overhead for Skype. That's really but cool. I didn't my know that. Chrome thing has it. Yeah, I don't think they can do that in Safari, but they can do that in Chrome. And so I use that uh, not all the time because I don't use Chrome all the time, but I use that sometimes and have it set up to just go to fastest, which is you know it'll find a Western US VPN and connect. And I do have that. Um, but uh, you know, I I'm open to this idea. I feel like we're we're gonna we're gonna get to the point when when we might all need more of stuff like this. But right now, um, the issues are it does it can really slow things down, and I have podcasts and things to do, and so that makes me if I could set up my router to just encrypt everything before it even gets to the the cable modem to like encrypted out somewhere else and then everything on my house would be encrypted i would consider it but you know i don't really want to do that with my netflix streams and my podcasts and things like that so yeah i feel like the technology is going to need to be more sophisticated or at least come down to uh, products that make it easier for consumers to tie into a vpn and um 
and encrypt their traffic that's going out past their ISP. But then if, if enough people do that, the, the scrutiny will just move to the VPN providers because they, they become the, you know, that's where the tunnel ends and they become the people who have to safeguard your privacy. I use Cloak on my laptops. So like on, on my, uh, my, my MacBook, I have Cloak and, and I use yeah. that for kind of when I travel or when I'm on like unsafe Wi-Fi, you know, like Wi-Fi that I don't trust. Um, I also have the app installed on my iOS devices in case I ever want to do the same for that. Yeah, I have that with TunnelBear. I have those both set up. And yes, when I'm out in the world at some random Wi-Fi hotspot, that is what I uh, generally do is is I trust having just, you know, don't trust the, the free yeah. Wi-Fi. <laughs> I've got to say, though, I'm super intrigued about that TunnelBear thing. I mean, I used TunnelBear a long time ago before I found Cloak, and then I found Cloak to be a nicer app, nicer experience. But that um, browser extension, that is really intriguing for, you know, just for, if I was ever going to run something like that at home, I don't want everything going through it. Like, I, I want my browsing history to be hidden if I'm doing it at home. Like, I'm not worried about, like, the network itself. But I wouldn't want my streaming services or my Skype or anything to be going through it because it would everything would be slower. So that, exactly. that's really, really interesting. It's really interesting. I might look into that a little bit more. Um, Mitchell asked, uh, well, they, they, well, they said they're ditching their 15-inch MacBook Pro because they don't need a real computer anymore. They want to know the age-old question. Should I get a 9.7-inch or 12.9-inch iPad Pro? And should I wait for the upgrades? I'm going to answer this in two parts. If you are coming from a 15-inch MacBook Pro, you should get the 12.9-inch iPad Pro because... Clearly, portability wasn't a thing that you super cared about in the past, right? Because there were like multiple screen sizes smaller than that. And also, I think going from 15-inch to 9.7, you would feel that. Um, I think you should go to the 12.9. And plus as well, you know, if it's going to be your home machine, the 12.9 is a nicer machine for the home because it's bigger, it's heavier, but you don't need to carry it around all the time. Um, should you wait for the upgrade? I think probably, yeah. I mean, if, if you're willing to wait a year because we don't know how long it's going to be. But I would expect within the next 12 months there will be new ones, because who even knows anymore? Nobody knows. No one can tell. I would say, but there will be something within the next year. Um, I would say, wait. Otherwise, 12.9, I use it every single day. It's an old machine now, based on kind of iOS device refreshes, but it's still fantastic. Um, mine works great, and it works great every single day. You could probably get a decent price on a refurb one now. Um, that might be a good route to go down. Yeah, but we do have hopes that there will be a new one soon. So I say I'd within say, the next three to six months. At yeah, the, so the if longest. you can hold out, if you can hold out, I would hold out for the new one because the old one is more than a year old now. Yep. Chris asked, "What is Apple doing on the 18th of April?" Now this sounds like a very peculiar question, unless you know that at WWDC last year there was this big wall of text, right? And it had all these little phrases and funny things and jokes and inside jokes and that kind of stuff. But one of the one of the the, the kind of small sentences said, "Hello Tuesday, April eighteenth, two thousand and seventeen." It was the only reference to any date on this huge wall of code, is what Apple called it. But it was there, Tuesday, April eighteenth, two thousand and seventeen. I'll put a link in the show notes. Federico tweeted it. Um, he, he took a picture of it. Federico has uh, kind of many feelings. I think his one has been that that is when Campus 2 will officially be declared open. <laughs> um, and I think he said that for a while as well. Like that was one of the big things. Many people think that there might be an event 
on that day that Apple was been thinking about or some big product introduction that they knew about was definitely going to be on that date basically 10 months before. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, that whatever it is, Apple is surely sure about something happening on that day. I mean, why... It would be such a like. Why would you say that day? Why would you not say the day that it was that WWDC opened or whatever? Tuesday, April eighteenth, two thousand and seventeen. What do you think's happening, Jason? I think it's somebody's birthday or somebody's anniversary, and they they picked a date in the future for that phrase. I think it's that simple. I don't think there's anything going on. You don't think Apple's water doing on the anything? They just they no. just picked it. Yeah, that far in advance. Apple doesn't do doesn't schedule stuff that far in advance. No way. So you think now, that we'll come to April nineteenth and nothing would have happened on the eighteenth? Well, I'll put it this way: if something happens on April eighteenth, it is not going to happen because Apple knew that they had text on the wall at WWDC 2016 that mentioned that date, and boy, they have to do something that date, or it'll disappoint all of the conspiracy theorists on the No, but, like, what if it was something that, that, like, I mean, you know, it's not impossible that something could have been set a year in advance to happen on that day. It's not necessarily a product launch, but it could be anything. I... I I don't it could be anything but what would it be what would it be that Apple cared enough about to put in secret text in the uh hello banner at WWDC that they knew about uh months in advance 10 months in advance it could have been the day that they declared open campus 2 it's but, a construction project i mean they But can why have would you do pretty... that 10 months no uh, yeah construction projects slip everything slip okay well all right fine fine I think that it is not impossible for a company to assume something, a a, a date of some description, 10 months in advance. I don't think that is an impossible thing to do. But we'll find out. (laughs) Brent asked, unlike last week's Brent, I have too many podcasts that I listen to. (laughs) The Brents are fighting now. How do you decide which podcasts to drop from your queue? Now, I take this not so much as a podcast to unsubscribe to, but just like episodes I see and I don't want to listen to them. Um, I don't have as much time to listen to podcasts as I used to. This is something that has started to happen to me gradually over time. When I quit my job, I was still listening to lots of stuff. But I don't know what it is, but in the last maybe six months or so, I seem to have less and less time to listen to podcasts and I don't know why, or at least less and less consistent time to listen. So these days I tend to, for mo- I have a small handful of shows that I listen to every single episode of, and then outside of that, I just look at the descriptions and choose if I want to add it to my queue in Overcast queuing um, feature that I use and, and really like a lot. I do the pretty much the same thing, which is I will take shows, I have a priority playlist that's some shows. And then I have the list of all the episodes and I will go in and add things to the the queue. And if somebody says this is a great episode, I'll add those to the queue. And then eventually if there's a podcast that I like episodes of, but I find that I'm never getting to it unless there's an extraordinary circumstance, I will turn that to don't, you know, basically don't add new episodes, but I'll keep it in my overcast list Mm. and I will occasionally pop in there or somebody will say, oh, did you hear this episode? And then I'll add it in that way manually. So there's like a a set of levels 
that go down of like priority one, two, three, four, uh, in terms of like how I approach them. But I have way too many shows too. And I decide, bottom line is how do I decide? I decide what are the ones that get me excited when there's a new episode and they go to the top of my queue. And then I, I, I put those in as like, yes, those always go in this queue and they always go to the top if they're that. And then everything else is just fighting for when I look at my queue and nothing is moving me or there's nothing in it, then what do I, what do I go to next? If you want to find our show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 134. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors this week, the fine folk over at Text Expander from Smile, Encapsula, and Squarespace. If you want to have your question answered on the show, you can always tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade and we'll grab it. And if you want to suggest a question for me to ask Jason in our new Snell Talk segment at the beginning of the show, can be fun little questions, little esoteric things, just stuff that you want to know about Jason Snell's day or week or weekend. Use the hashtag SnellTalk and I'll pick those up as well. And we appreciate your participation on the show as always. Any follow-up and stuff that you send, we always love it and thank you for continuing to do that each and every week. If you want to find Jason online, he's over at sixcolors.com and at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. And next week he'll be in my office um, I am mm. at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and we'll be both back next week in person for the beginning of our European tour, which we seem <laughs> to be doing on an Every almost year. yearly basis. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye from sunny and blue sky, California. You had to get the weather in, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs>